Greetings and salutations, friends. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Surf and Sales Podcast. It's Richard Harris, along with my co-host and good friend, Scott Lease. And today we are joined by also another good friend of ours, someone we both have gotten to know over the last few years. He's the VP of Revenue at Tiled. So Jake Rennie, thanks for coming on. We appreciate it. Thanks, guys. I'm, I'm actually stoked to be doing this with you guys. I've been following the podcast for a bit, and um, now I'm glad to be a part of it. Still so haven't shown up at the event, though. When are you going to come? When are you going to send a rep? <laughs> you know, the, the, the sad part is that when, now that I'm at Tile, we have, we're based out of San Diego, and our CEO is a big surfer, so I, I really don't have an excuse. There you no. go. No, well done. Too. So, so actually, but but on to more serious stuff. Um, what uh, you know, you're a VP of revenue, right? And we've been seeing this revenue role evolve. I would say the last three or four years, the chief revenue officer, head of revenue, VP of revenue, revenue operations. Yeah, revenue operations. How do you see the role with the revenue, like a VP of role? VP of revenue versus a VP of sales. What's that kind of mean for you? And, and we know we're still figuring it out. We all have ideas, but I keep wanting to ask different people because I don't think it's been completely formulated yet. Yeah, it's a good question. Um, well, like for me at Tiled, my role, I oversee all of, uh, of sales efforts and customer success. So when it, it's all customer facing efforts for driving not only net new revenue, but recurring revenue, right? Does that include um, the SDR team? So, pardon? Does that include like the SDR team? Yeah. And gen, demand gen? Yes, yes. So anything, anything customer facing from, from first touch with AD, we, you know, we call them ADRs, uh, to renewals and expansions. Um, so literally any point where revenue is driven into the organizations coming through or into the companies coming through my org. Um, I don't own marketing. Um, we have an extremely talented leader there, and and for a short period of time, I did I did do some of that. But uh, I've learned that um, you 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 need you need very specifically talented people who who can do that. And so I'm glad that we have someone running the marketing side of the house. Do you do you have? Can, any you, can you tell everybody who's listening? You know what what tiled it what tiled it is and what you do? Yeah. So. Um, Sorry, Richard, I think you asked a question too there, but um, Scott, you asked me what is Tiled and what do, what do we do? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so Tiled, we are a, a interactive content platform. What does that mean? Well, you think about today's content typically is static with PDFs, PowerPoints, Word docs, right? Technology that's like 30 years old. Um, but we fundamentally believe like people want to interact with their content. We like, we want to choose our own adventure if you remember those kind of books like we love those books for a reason we want to choose our path we want to engage with content the way we want i don't want to be forced down a linear path i want to actually go you know go the way that i actually want to to go and so tiled allows you to build content that is interactive that is actually like clickable like so when you so your um, sales so, so your sales efforts like are you selling to chief marketing officers and, and VPs of marketing and things like that? Like, is that your, your buyer, the marketing yeah. department? Yeah. Yeah. Because the, the end result of what tile does is we, we, our platform lets you build micro apps. That's the, that's the, the file standard that we've kind of introduced to the market is this, this concept of a micro app and those who are going to use the micro app. Yeah. CMO, um, creative designers, uh, your, your chief brand officers and sales. Um, in fact, 
oftentimes we find ourselves really having to drive consensus amongst all of them. It's like a, is it a long sales cycle? And, and what's like the price point just to give people, people context? It sounds like yeah. you've got, you know, some complexity there. You're saying you've, you've got a lot of, you know, decision makers who end up getting involved and things like that. Um, what's the, what's the, the cycle like and the complexity of, of the sale in your estimation? So it is, it, it tends to be fairly complex. And, and the reason for that is that you, you tiled uh, requires a design organization to be, to be supportive of it. If, be taking on the actual vault if they're going to buy into this concept of of interactive and, and immersive experiential content they're the ones who are going to be actually driving the engagement right and then sales needs to be involved um, if they're if they're wanting to create better content for their reps that drive you know better conversions because the content is is more experiential so yeah the, the challenge is that if you sell the design, if you sell to the marketing or you sell the sales directly without having the design decision makers and like key stakeholders involved, then, um, then they're going to rely on tiles design services and we, we can do that. But I, I would way rather see one of my customers be self-reliant and self-sufficient. And so, you know, we, we pull those in. So typically what that means is we see standard enterprise sell cycles. Um, we, we sell very enterprise. Um, we, we, don't sell below 70 million in revenue at all. Um, our minimum deal size is 25K. Um, and we're, we're usually cross-functional in our sales cycle. There's multiple decision makers that, that require us to drive consensus with. And, and is it 25K, I assume that's a year? So we're doing, I mean, we're doing business with big brands like um, you know, Adobe, HubSpot, some of the biggest financial firms out there you can think of that we, we can't mention, but we're, we're roughly doing business on the most part from 200 million plus. Do you, do you, um, do you actually have a $25,000 ARR or MRR? 25K is the, is the minimum annual deal size. So Got it. yeah. Cool. I mean, that's, I mean, that's, that's low end, but our, our average deal size, our average deal size tends to be somewhere between, um, 75 K to 125. How big is your team? Just again, for context. Yeah. So my team right now, there's, there's nine, um, direct reports on my team as a company. We are 30. I think I was employee number 30. So I think we're 31 right now. Cool. What are you seeing? Um, how are you guys handling this? You know, it's, it's April 29th, right? Uh, how are you guys handling this with your customers or prospects? What are you, what are you experiencing? And then how are you communicating with that? Aside, yeah, man, from, I, the, I, aside from the word empathy, don't give me that word. <laughs> um, I think we're dealing with it similarly to a lot of people. I think we're in parts of, uh, you know, is that we're, we're quickly, shifting it to understand how this impacts our forecast as a business and how this is going to impact our, our, our revenue model that we've, we've developed for the year. And, um, like how is this going to affect uh, the way that we potentially go to raise money this year? Um, so I think for us, there's, you know, as a startup, we have unique challenges that maybe other large organizations might not be facing and that's, that's runway. Right. And that's also, that's future funding. And then that's, you know, that's also retaining, 
the preventing as much customer churn as you could possibly you know, handle right now. So I think as a whole, we're doing really well. The unique thing about the, what's going on with, with the, the pandemic is that a lot of organizations are realizing we have to double down on our digital experiences, right? We have to double down on the way that we deliver content and we can't be doing the same thing as everyone else. And so Tile tends to um, play really well with that kind of a strategy. So we've had a lot of unique conversations recently. We've seen a lot of people pivoting towards content that um, they might not otherwise like be thinking about how can we make this more engaging like employee onboarding or HR assets or um, top of the funnel type of content. So it, it's, it's, it's created a unique scenario, but at the same time we've got customers that are in retail man and or like food and beverage and they got hit hard. They got hit really hard. And so we're trying to figure out ways to be creative with them to, to, to not churn or to, to support them and, you know, provide design services to help them pivot their use cases into areas that will work. So we, we've had one customer who's a big, big, big uh, solar uh, vendor. Their, their whole business model is door to door. They've got thousands of reps out in the field knocking on your door selling you solar, right? And overnight they had to turn into and basically like an inside sales organization. And they came to us and asked us like, hey, how can we use this tool how can we use Tile to essentially like run all of our sales presentations um, yeah, with an inside sales kind of approach to things? And it was, it was phenomenal to see how we helped them pivot their whole go-to-market. What, what are some of the, can you share some of the, the things that you guys put in, help them put in place? I mean, I think yeah. that's really interesting. I've had a couple conversations with people who are in outside sales rules and outside sales kind of orgs that had to do the exact same thing. I'm wondering if, if, if you can share some real tangible pieces of uh, advice and some, some adjustments that folks made. Yeah. Well, like when you're, when you're field related, right? Like a lot of reps, a lot of field reps are focusing on like they, they've got one or two pitch decks that they'll use and they won't use anything else. Right. And, and it doesn't matter like how many assets that the marketing team has put together for them. Like they're so used to, being in front of the customer and pitching the same PowerPoint presentation, yeah. the same PDF. And so like, they don't like, they don't know how to pivot to an online conversation or, or being able to deliver that same type of experience, um, you know, through zoom like this. Uh, and, and th that same PowerPoint may not work as well because they're having, you know, typically they, those pitch decks are like really customized, but at the same time, like they've been, they're sticking to slides that they've had for years. Um, and, and the, now the idea is like, hey, I'm having maybe more conversations, but I'm not able to do as much customization and I have to also deliver this in a very digital way. So one, like, like a lot of people positioning or like transitioning their, their pitch decks or their sales decks to micro apps is, is pretty phenomenal because um, they're able to have more conversational type of, of, of presentations as opposed to the linear presentations that they're they might be having face-to-face. -face. Like when you're face-to-face, -face, you can easily move through your PowerPoint and not have that experience like kind of degrade. But when you're like on Zoom, right? And, and, I'm, and I'm the rep trying to pitch you something, go, hold on, let me go to slide like 45. And I go out of my presentation mode. Now there's like 40 slides on the left-hand side and like not to mention like everything that's in my like appendix, like, right? And then I'm like thinking through Okay, I'm gonna jump over down this like the immediate like the moment that happens, you guys know exactly what I'm talking about. The whole experience, the whole conversation breaks. Yeah. Because power like that's not how conversations flow. Like 
conversations aren't linear, right? We're going to go down any different direction today, even here. How do I have control over like which direction we're going to go in a PowerPoint with a, with a, with a micro app? It's navigable, right? It's clickable. It's, it's literally like a native app. I can go back to a menu bar. I can go back to like some sub nav and I can say, okay, yeah, you want to talk about, you want to talk about this? Let's go there. And, and I can take you through that, that flow without breaking down what the experience would, would be like. Um, otherwise, you know, through a PowerPoint, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. You, you come from a big organization in Adobe. Weren't you at Adobe beforehand? How, I was. How is, how is that adjustment been going from a, you know, behemoth like, like Adobe down to, you know, frontline leading revenue for stage startup that's got to be a massive challenge and a, and a, and a big shift in, in strategy and mindset for you How, how's that how's it been what's been some of the the harder uh, harder parts of the of the change leaving out obviously the state of the, the world never mind all that stuff but um, you know just I think there's a lot of people who go back and forth between big company small company type thing and and you're you're living that so talk to us about that a little bit Good question. I, 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 you got to know about me. Like, I'm an entrepreneur at heart. Why? Because my dad raised me that way. Like, my dad, I'm first generation. My dad came to the United States without even speaking English and, like, realized he basically had to survive by building his own businesses. And so I grew up coming home from school, going to my dad's office and helping him solder, you know, computer boards, like, and, and helping him sell LEDs. And so, like, just being around that has always given me the appetite, like the, like the, the insatiable desire to like own my own thing or be a part of something like really uh, entrepreneurial. So um, truly like going to some of the bigger brands was for me was to like build the credibility and, and to show that, Hey, like um, not only can I be successful at smaller businesses, but I can do this at scale. And I'll tell you the biggest takeaway I had, the interesting thing like, it's not really that different. And, and what I mean by that is, totally. I've, said, I've said that so many times what size of yeah. company you're at. You yeah. all want more leads. You all want more qualified leads, right? You all want to have like a better process. You all want to have a better close rate. You all want to have, you know, shortened sales cycles. Like, so it's not the issue of like the problems are different. It's the solutions at scale are different. How do we solve problems at scale? And the challenges at big organizations is, how many people do you actually have to sell on an idea? And by the time you sold people on the change or the pivot that needs to happen, is it too late for impact and on to the next project? Yeah. Are you, so, are you in, enjoying the, the downward shift and leading a you know, uh, smaller group? I'm loving it. Yeah, yeah. I'm loving it. I love being a part of a small thing. I, I love, like, I've always wanted to be part of a, a really, uh, you know, hyper growth pre-series A company. Um, so Tiled to me was, was really that moment when I, I actually found Tiled as a customer at Adobe. I brought them in to build digital playbooks because my reps weren't using the playbooks that were sitting on their desk. They were just collecting dust and some reps were actually using them to prop up their monitors and yeah. I needed a better way. So I, I went, I used Tiled and then when I saw what Tiled was doing, I was like, man, this is killer. And after about a year and a half of being a customer, um, I said, let's like, let's go, let's do this. And so I joined the well, team. I just had this interesting conversation yesterday. I, I moderated this webinar that was all about books. I just heard you talk about the playbook that's kind of collecting dust and whatnot. Um, 
first of all, definition of a sales playbook. And then what are the things that need to go in there um, in order to grow the sales organization and scale it appropriately? Not, not, and don't give me like a list of 3000 things. Like let's say, you know, you're, you're kind of, top five or six things or maybe 10 at the most like these are the things that should should go into everybody's sales playbook if you want to build a successful sales organization i think a great sales playbook can 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 support a rep like pre-call you know and planning or prepping for a call in in call like live so like can help them guide them um and knowing how to pivot or like run an audible in the conversation so they can they can utilize the resource to help them do that and then post call like rethinking like what can I have done better if you know a lot of people I think think through playbooks as um, how can we help our reps prep for the conversations but don't think about how can we support them on a call and then you see those tools that are meant to help reps live and, and recommend assets to be utilized while on a call how does that get but, you um, they don't think about preparation go ahead yeah so what how does that yeah how does that get used, right, live in the call? Or is it, hey, here's our playbook, we're gonna train you, and then we're gonna do constant role plays of in the call stuff that are typically in the playbook. But, yeah, you know, how do you use that? Because I think that's, that's the part where people, I think, struggle the most. Um, and some of it is they just, they hate trying to force role plays, right? Um, at least the older generations do. But, how do you actually make sure it's being used? That's the biggest challenge I've seen with playbooks. That, 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 that's my, that was my problem, right? I had this printout that was, it was um, 300 something pages. And how do you expect a rep in the middle of a call, especially now in the world where we like do Zoom calls, to, to flip through a page and like go through page 222 to like respond to a question in real time, right? Um, and, and how do you like, how do they continue to earn credibility in that type of a conversation while, when they're doing that without like just completely losing trust? And so that's why I knew I had to pivot to something digital that wouldn't require a lot of navigation. I wish I could show you guys my old Adobe playbook. You would flip, like literally, literally flip through the pages. Like, no, because it's not, it's digital now. That's the case. So what the idea to answer your question, right? They would have they would have their Zoom call or their 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 course call up on um, I'm sorry outreach call on one screen and they would have their digital playbook on tiled on another screen and um, it was basically like an, an online book or catalog that they could go through and while they were on the call running through the discovery and an obstacle came up like well hey we're using Google right they could quickly quick click over in the playbook over to the battle card for Google, right? Analytics and say, well, this is how Google positions. This is how we position. Well, hey, you guys are in retail. Here's some nuggets you need to know about how people utilize, you know, our platform, our tools in retail use cases. And so they, they could easily, the way it built it, navigate. How long does it take the rep? To be able to, how long does it take the rep to be able to navigate that path? To right, because to some extent, you know, you're still having to sort of hold on a second. Let me go look that up right? That, that, that multitask place. So are you really also coaching them on, Hey, when you see the conversation going here, you need to start thinking ahead. Do you know what I mean? Like, how do you keep that flow from yes. becoming copy? 
So two things there. One, we 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 actually like in, enlisted a, a UX design agency to help. So we built it from a UX perspective. With the the one the one feedback I gave to them, like the key thing was, I want a rep to find anything in this playbook of 400 pages in three clicks or less. So the first thing was from a design perspective, we built it so that in three clicks or less, the rep could get there quick, right? Because to your point, like yeah, like does it really make it any easier? The second piece was we we had a three week onboarding um, academy, right? So at the at the end, the last two years I was there, I ran the academy, and as that three weeks, that playbook was used to basically like run every every part of like the skills and training um, parts of of the the academy training, and so. We, we had a three-day like deep dive workshop where I would fly everyone in either, either to like Lehigh or to San Jose. And we would for three days straight just live in that playbook and run workshops and, and competitions. And so everyone had to like, give us an I example. Like, yeah. I, I get that. I love that. But like, is it just massive role plays? Like, like again, I just want to keep getting more tactical so people can listen to this. Sure, right. Like, like, you know, the phrase I just wrote down was, oh, you have to onboard your playbook, right? There's playbook onboarding, right? Yeah. Which it sounds like. So, you know, for three weeks, people are like, oh my God, well, they're Adobe. They could afford to do that, right? I'm not Adobe, right? I'm Tile. How does Tile do onboarding of my playbook, right? What, what are some tactical ways you try to do that or did that? So the, the, the most tactical part where they spent most time in the playbook was actually that three-day period, okay? So anyone can spend three days, on anything when it comes to onboarding. And if you're not dedicating a minimum of a week to your team, like don't even start hiring people. Like you're not doing them any favors. Like if you can't properly invest in, in coaching and, and onboarding, like I think you're hiring too soon um, or you don't have the right people on your team. So that's just like, something I get really passionate about. But um, three days. So we, would, we took those chapters, we broke them down into workshops and many like many competitions and I would break the teams up into different groups and I'd say okay um, prospecting here's how we prospect and I'd go into the section of the playbook that was about all of our pre-call planning tools our prospecting tools um, how we like researched contacts on on LinkedIn and zoom info and discover org right and then I would have them come into those meet the come into that training with three accounts that their AE gave to them to research, right? And then for that portion of the workshop, I would have them spend like 30 minutes learning the tools and building a list of contacts that were associated with those accounts. Then the next thing was, okay, now that you've got the contacts that you wanna go after, let's talk about the quality of those contacts and why. So we break that down, they would earn points based on like the quality of research they did for those contacts. And the next piece, right like reward um the relevance reward and request and so we would talk about how do you write an email with that format and then i'd have them now take those three contacts or five contacts that they have from those accounts write emails to those people and then we would break them down and so like we would work step by step through the playbook on literally from the beginning of what i would do if i came in from the first day and sat down and and had to start prospecting how do i build a list how do I email? And then how do I have a conversation? And we like, over three days, we just 
role played. We literally did it hands on. And then at the end of that three days, we, we did what we call the three, uh, call blitz. And I would give them a list of numbers of contacts and I would just let them call and we'd have a competition to see who could book the most meetings. That's great. I love, <clears throat> I love that. Um, uh, Richard's got some audio issues on, on, on his end a little bit. So the playbook, um, how much of a priority is it? So you take the job tomorrow as, you know, VP of sales, VP of revenue, like, how do you prioritize what you start working on first? Is the playbook like the first thing that you, that you work on? Is it that big of a, a deal to you? Or do you wait a little bit? That's a good question, man. Because if you asked me this a year ago before I joined Tile, I would say yes. Um, it just depends. So, so what's changed? It sounds like your answer would be a little bit different now. It depends. Yeah, man. Like, well, the biggest thing I've learned from working at big companies and small companies is the answer is like, well, it depends. Like, what is your sales cycle? What is your complexity of your sales cycle? What mm. you, like, what's your market, the segment you're selling into? What's the size of your organization? How much support do you have? Like, at Tiled, when I joined, I had, I think I had three people on the team. There's still, I don't have any sales ops support or sales enablement support. So, like, it's me. So, if I have free time, I'm helping my guys close deals. I'm like helping build out messaging. I don't have, and the other thing is we're learning because right now at Tile, like we're, we, there was no data telling us what success or yeah. what great looks like when I joined. So my biggest, my biggest focus, the number one thing I would say, no matter where you are is make sure you have the data and you understand the data is accurate. And if you don't have accurate data and like implement systems and process to collect proper data to understand actually like what's scalable, but that would be where I'd focus first. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've spent the entirety of my career really going into environments similar to what, what you went in at tiled. Um, and you're right. You know, there is no data when you, when you first get there. So, you know, one of your first tasks is to go collect, the data <laughs> you just got to start making some things happen and trying trying things um but um i tend to focus on building out the playbook like right away but understanding that it's a living breathing entity and it in no way shape or form is going to be you know finalized right like we might throw 50 percent of this shit out in a couple months yeah. based on based on what we learn and i just kind of try to always keep iterating uh iterating out on it if you were going to go take this same kind of role again one day six years from now after you guys ipo for five billion dollars right and you were going to go be ahead of revenue again and richard and i started company and we hire you as a the head of revenue would you what would you do differently than than what you've done so far for, so for example i heard you say you don't have like a sales operations or revenue ops type person right now and I've said, and, and been on record many times before, I refuse to take a head of sales role unless I have approval to hire a sales ops person as my first hire. Yeah. My first hire. So like, I hear you say that you have nobody in that function. You have 30 something people. And I, I'm like, I already have anxiety thinking yeah. like, what the fuck are you doing that? Cause yeah. I would never do that. Yeah. Uh, um, is that something you would try to do differently or do you not care about that part? And maybe there's something else you would try to do differently. Um, that's a good question that I'm trying to think about the right way to answer this. 
um, on a live well, webinar. Just keep in so. mind, this is your job interview. This is your job interview. So we want, you know, if we when we go start this company, even though you've IPO'd and you've got plenty of FU money, you know, this is an important question you answer right now the right way. So no pressure. The, the reality is like, yes, like that should be your first hire. It should be your first hire. And and so you agree with me? Hell yeah, I agree with you. It's 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 to me, it's logic. Like you you need to build your super powered like team as quickly as possible. If that was my superpower, then no, but it's not my superpower, right? My superpower is like building process and 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 and, and getting like implementing like set up, like getting the whole you know things set up and, and actually like implementing and driving things to success. I love to build and I love to break, but I, I like I'm not the kind of guy who can build models all day long and like live in spreadsheets and 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 then adjust models. That's just not my skill. I'm I'm learning but I'll tell you, like, right now, that's the number one, I think that's the number one hire every every sales leader should have by their side because, like, I actually think that we'll get to a point where I think rev ops or sales ops leaders will be in, invited into board meetings. They'll be oh, I already, I, I already think that they should be. I completely, yeah. I completely agree with you. 100%. I think they should be part of these conversations with CEOs. I think I, I I can see a point where like you could potentially even get to a point where like a a, a, a RevOps leader might even have direct line to like be a peer with the VP of sales. Like I could really see that because I think the power there is really critical. So 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 you're you're 100 with me on the you know the importance of this particular role. Yeah. How do you go get that particular role? When 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 is Jake going to get that particular role? And how do you go get you know approval to get that particular Role. Well, it was. The I'm not trying. I'm not trying to get you in trouble. I'm trying to help you think. You know, think think through this. Like you clearly understand the value of that. Of that I've had role. that headcount on my my board for a year. Um, and I need. I was. It was actually the role that I was hiring. It was the, It's an open rec per se. So it's the first role that I'm hiring uh, post pandemic. Like when everything kind of settles, right? So we're on a hiring freeze. And um, that's the first headcount I'm hiring for. It, it took me some work to like really sell the, the and explain the differences. Yeah. I, because it's not because I don't have leaders who understand. It's not because I don't have leaders who get it. It's just it's just that sometimes um, you have to help them see the the difference in the value of what a RevOps leader can bring to the table, um, and it's not something that their finance guy should be doing. Yeah, I mean, I think. I think there's there's a way and, and at some point in time, Richard, maybe we should do a whole podcast on this because it's come up like three times. It just came up the other day with Kevin Gaither from ZipRecruiter. Um, he he kind of looked at me wide-eyed when I told him that, you know, I don't take a job unless that's my first hire and it's like guaranteed, you know, <laughs> in writing, um, so to speak. And he was like, well, how the, how the fuck did you, you know, justify that and articulate that and convert that into ROI and all this kind of thing? And you know, so um, we were talking offline and I'm like, dude, a, a good like head of sales ops is, is, is worth like five AEs, yeah. right? And, like here's, and here's why. So um, I'm I, with think you. I, I literally was thinking, I think it was two days ago, I thought to myself, next go around, it will be a requirement. And if, if I ever were to go somewhere else, like it would yeah. be, it would absolutely be a requirement. Not only that, 
my, I would challenge CEOs and founders out there who are hiring now, if you don't see that as an immediate request or an ask from the VP of sales candidate you're looking at, you should really question that. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. Like in, in, the, in the head of sales interview process, if the head of sales doesn't beg, borrow and steal trying to get a, a, a head of sales ops, like red flag that maybe they're, you know, they're not sure what, what they're doing or they're not ready for the role or something like that. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Um, what are, what are some of the, uh, like other things that you work on, you know, on the side? Like, I think you have, you have, you know, you've spent some time growing your network and building out, uh, you know, your brand online. And, you know, you, I, I see, I seem to feel like you go through fits and spurts where you're like, you know, active and slow down and, and, and whatnot. What's, is there a strategy there? Is it just like, no, it's, no. it's dad life. It's startup life. It's what I can handle. And yeah, like you're right, man. I love being involved in, especially in my like local community when it comes to building like a sales community. So I've, I've in the past, I've been president of like the local AAISP chapters or, um, you know, I was more active as a contributors on sales hacker, other, you know, content forums. Um, yeah. And, and like when I have that kind of time, man, I, like that's the first thing I'll dedicate it to. But right now, every bit of energy I have goes into Tiled and my family. So I'm, this is a season of my life that's a little bit slower as far as like my engagements outside of work and like my contributions to like the sales community. Because um, if I got extra time, bro, like I'm sitting down building out models or I'm sitting down like building out pitch decks or I'm working on messaging or I'm helping a rep on a deal. Just don't have the time like I used to, but yeah. I love it. I love both. It's just that I'm going to get this to a point where I can free up time to go do this. And then, do you think ultimately, like, what's next for you is is building your own company? I mean, you talked about having that kind of entrepreneurial spirit and blood, you know, dating back to your dad coming to the country and, and starting his own, you know, yeah. company and whatnot. Like, is that is that part of your journey? You think? Are you are you it used to be where you're headed next you taking that it used to be that was before you you had kids (laughs) i know i mean like as of even like maybe a couple years ago i was like that was for sure what i was going to do um and and my vision for joining an early stage startup was that you know i want to get as i want to get as dirty and and as early as i can so that i can understand all the challenges so that yeah i can go do this myself um i think that's evolved and and maybe it's the different stage i am in my life but like um, time to me is critical and I'm realizing I can't buy that back. I can't invest time as I can like money. Um, and I can't earn this time back with my kids. And so, um, I don't know if I want to do that at this stage in my life. I think the next thing that I would likely do, and honestly, what's, what's grabbing my attention the most right now, like if, if tile were to have, um, when tile has an awesome exit in the next couple of years, um, I would probably I would probably entertain the idea of actually joining like a, some sort of a VC group and wanting to help them build a center of excellence because the biggest thing I've learned from this whole experience is that a lot of VCs don't actually know how to support their portfolio companies. They don't know how to support their port codes. They, we, luckily, we have some awesome VCs who spend a lot of time with us. But when it comes to like, hey, here are resources that you know, we need as, a, as an early stage startup and we need maybe some time um, with these types of like, I think I think if if 
VCs could actually build center of excellences for their portcos. What would you tell them to do? If we, if we had a hundred different venture firms on the line listening to this yeah. right now, and they were all, you know, on pins and needles waiting to hear Jake deliver his, his advice and knowledge, like what would you have these, these VCs and, and investors do? You, you want them to, you know, be more accessible to help out their portfolio companies more, but like how? Like what specifically? I would tell them, build, I tell them to build out like a, a basically like a, a mini accelerator in a sense, um, or or like um, you know a mini academy like I had at, at Adobe, where bring in someone who can help your your portco, you know, head, heads of sales build out their process and framework and and understand what models matter. I would hire along like I would actually hire a RevOps person to be like my like my my co-pilot on that. And, and just go in and dig into their businesses and understand where the gaps are and, and help them figure it out. Because I think a lot of startups are afraid of actually asking their VCs for help, hmm. but they want to. They just don't want, they don't want to expose their weaknesses, they don't want right? They seem incompetent right. or at risk to fail or whatnot. Yeah. But on the flip side, a lot of VCs want to help. They just like, they don't know often where to help. To help. And so I think the idea here is you build out you build out a center of excellence with a, a, a rev ops leader, a sales leader, a, and a marketing leader who can go in and basically be your internal consultant. You, yeah, and that internal consultant, then you loan them out to the different portfolio companies and whatnot, and they they yeah, cycle I've through been, and spend time there. I've been I've yes. been a part. What do you think, Richard? Yeah, no, I'm I'm having really bad audio, so, but I've been a part of organizations where where that's what the VC did, and those are the ones that I think excel, and and I think to an extent. You know, it's kind of, I've yet to ever be in a VC pitch meeting, but Richard's ego would say, how do you help me build the revenue side of this? I'm an engineer, came up with this great product, this great design. You know, we've proven product market fit. We've got early customers. You're ready to give me money. How are you going to help me double down on that money, right? What is your revenue operations like to support me? And I'd be curious to see if anybody, one, has the courage to ask that question. And then whether or not it would either turn oh, off man. or turn on the VC. I think we're losing you, Richard. So I think we're losing, but I think I understand what he's saying. What, what do you think he's getting at? I, Richard, you're cut, you're cutting out pretty, pretty heavy. He, he was kind of talking about like what. You just went on mute too, Scott. You muted yourself. Welcome to the beauties of working from home, guys. Like this is this is the real world. Am I on, on mute? It didn't say I was on mute. Very good. Now I hear you, man. Loud and clear. Weird. I think that Richard was trying trying to say that um, you know his if his ego if he was in the room with these these VCs he'd say okay well you have this you know internal sales resource and this internal revenue resource, but like, what are they actually going to do for me? Like, what would you have them do? Is it just advice or are they doing anything tactical? Are they writing things? Are they building things? Are they coaching? Like how in the weeds would that resource need to be in order to add value? Yeah. I think that's what he was getting at. And I, I would agree. Look, I, I don't know if I have the right to have an opinion on this because I've never been the guy pitching a vision to raise, you know, early seed money. But I'll tell you that um, 
I, I would probably do something similar, Richard. I, like if I, if that was me and I was in that position, I would absolutely, you know, it's, this is two way street. Like, just, like I would never take dumb money. I would never want to take like money from an investor just because it's what I, it's, it's, it's what I need at the moment. I, 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 I think well, you don't want to raise, you don't want to raise money when you need to, right? You always want to be raising money when you don't really need to. And it, so it's easy to theorize on how I would do this, but I, I'll tell you, like, I, I think I would really, really stick to my guns on the fact that I would want to make sure that this group would really back me and, and my, my organization with tactical resources and support. Because like, if, if anyone should have data, it's them. Yeah. Right. Anyone knows what awesome looks like. It's them. And I, like, they have incredible, incredible, like analyst um, resources, but can, how can you, how can you like repurpose that towards actually digging into the business? Well, those anal analyst resources are often not super helpful at an early stage company because like we were talking about before, we don't have any fucking data yet. Yeah. So I don't even, what are you going to analyze? I've made like 13 calls so far, right? right. I, I need somebody to help me craft the messaging, somebody to help me craft the, the pitch, somebody to help me figure out you know, kind of demand gen efforts and what channels might work and what pricing works. And, you know, it, a lot of people who go into a new sales role, I don't know if this was your experience, but they get tasked to come up with the contract, right? Have you ever tried to write a sales contract before and get it into any kind of reasonable form that a lawyer won't just completely laugh you out of the building? Right. Good Lord. Like I can remember the first time I tried to do that and I felt like the, the biggest, like, you know, fraud of all time. And I just kept saying, why am I trying to build out this contract? There's got to be some sort of resource here who can help me. Right. Yeah. Well, I'm sure, you know, VC companies have thousands of those, right. You could get in and, and help us with the template and that kind of thing. So it's interesting, uh, interesting concept. I think obviously, I mean, obviously you think about who, who's built sales or like you, you know, would be good in that kind of role. I think the way they need to think about it is it's their insurance policy on their investment, right? We're going to invest in you, but that's not enough. Like here's an insurance policy to make sure that that investment actually doesn't get lost, yeah. right? That, that you have all the resources you need to, to be able to build a successful business. Yeah. And then the rest is up to you, right? Yeah. Well, thanks for spending time with us, man. As you said, modern, uh, modern technology, modern selling, modern dad life, all this kind of, uh, kind of stuff going on. And, uh, you know, we got some bad audio a little bit on Richard's end. Hopefully the, the recording comes out. Okay. I hear you well for the, the whole episode. What can we do to, uh, to help you, man? Is there anything that you're, um, working on right now and, and, you know, could use some, some support on or, or some advice on or anything like that? Or just how can we be, be useful to you and, and what you're trying to do? I think in the vein of the conversation we've been having, I think the more that we could provide open source resources to communities, like into uh, like our peers and others to help them accomplish these things. I think, you know, like great guys like you that run consultancies and I understand like that's how you make your business. But if there are ways that you can actually produce like real tactical, you know, open source tools that like, hey, if you haven't built a bottoms up model for the first time in your life, here's a great template to use right? That's not going to, you're not going to lose business over stuff like that. Yeah. You, know, yeah. you probably would gain it. Yeah. So the more you can share these types of resources with, with, you know, the startup community, 
to help them get things right, they're naturally going to need help to continue to tweak and scale it. And they're going to eventually come back yeah. to, to guys like you. I, I agree completely. I think that sales leaders for far too long have been overly protective of their like, you know, secret sauce and, and what, and what have you. Um, so I have no problem, you know, sharing tips and tricks and whatnot. And in fact, I've, I've been, I have a private coaching client who is in Austin, who is a direct competitor of mine. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not worried about sharing my, my secrets, you know, and wish, wish this person, person well. So I'm all, I'm all about that. And, uh, you know, maybe I'll, I'll try to begin that endeavor. And as I try to help you get this revenue ops support that you uh, so, so desperately, so desperately need. <laughs> man. Yeah. It's, I think it's time for a, a mindset of abundance in, in this world, like with the way we do things in sales and it, there's enough to eat. So let's help each other, man. That's the way I think about it. I love it. Well, good, good hanging out with you, man. Always nice chatting with you and wishing you the best of luck over there. And, Stay in touch and, and let us know, you know, when and if you need something from us, we'd be happy to help you out. Awesome. Thanks, guys. All right, Jake. Thanks, Jake. Please. You want to deep